Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay, and we have a special guest here with us today. He is the editor and Cardinals slash Suns reporter for Arizona Sports, co-host of the Empire of the Suns podcast, and a fellow fan of all things Star Wars, Mr. Kevin Zimmerman. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Also alum of Valley of the Suns, so yes. also congrats on... <laughs> it was a while back, but glad it's still going strong with you. Yes, a lot of uh, prestigious names have come through the Valley of the Suns halls over the years. Um, it is nice to be back in some capacity, even if it's just podcast guy. But uh, Kevin, let's dive right in because the thing on everyone's mind right now, especially after the Suns suffered their largest loss of the season and dropped back to the two spot in the West, is are the Suns going to be able to wrap up that one seed? Um, they're currently one full game back from the Jazz after that Hawks loss. Um, just general thoughts before we dive into the specifics, what do you think about the Suns prospects of getting that one seat at this point? I mean, I just looked at the schedules and theirs seems a lot harder, um, than Utah's. I mean, Utah has, I think the last three games I'm looking Portland, Oklahoma city, Sacramento. They also have Houston in there, Golden state and Denver. So, I mean, Golden state's tough Portland, maybe it's a wash, but there's three other games that looks like it's a, it should be a win for them. And, you know, I, I don't know if the Suns are going to get that. Um, to me, it seems like more of a long shot, although I wouldn't put it past them at this point, just because <laughs> it's been an uphill battle, man. I mean, it's, you, you saw the Hawks game, just, I, I think their legs are catching up with them a little bit. And that's how they played this season where other teams are resting. They just want to get to know each other. And I think they'll have rest time, you know, with the uh, playing games that will give them an extra few days. So I think they'll be fine in that regard, but I just don't see them finishing as strong as they might need to. Yeah, you could definitely get the sense that their legs are sort of, uh, they're getting to that point in the season, just not only because they're suddenly losing back-to-backs for, I mean, they were so good on back-to-backs for all of this yeah. season, um, but now it seems like they're much more mortal in that regard. Um, and it doesn't help that, you know, like Jay Crowder has been out. So that's a starter who's down and that's 25 to 30 minutes a night that they're missing. Um, but yeah, looking at the Suns remaining schedule, they've got New York uh, today, I guess, by the time this podcast is out. Um, they're at the Lakers, at the Warriors. They've got Portland at home. Uh, and then they have a back-to-back in San Antonio to close out the season and after they got waxed by San Antonio earlier that's not a, it's not a given especially because San Antonio is a sub 500 team and we all know how the Suns like to play around with sub 500 teams yeah. um, the good news is they do own that tiebreaker over the Jazz so if they somehow over the six game stretch get an extra win in there they will be back to the one seed but I mean my question for you is like I'm, I'm looking at the Suns' last six games and the Jazz's last six games. I would guess the Jazz go like five and one, and the Suns go four and two. Um, but my question for you is: Does that really matter? I, I feel like the thing that matters to me more is what their first and 
probably second round matchups are going to look like instead. Yeah, um, I went over this on our podcast, which we recorded today also, so I'm kind of cheating, but like Basketball Reference has a generator that's predicting playoff seeds, mm. and the Lakers have like a 25% chance of getting the seventh seed and falling out, and obviously <laughs> Basketball Reference doesn't know what LeBron will do, what AD will do, but that's scary, right? I mean, uh, I know that if they get the seventh seed, that means they're struggling when they head to the playoffs. But I, I think I, I can't see a good reason to say maybe we should play LA over Portland, like doubt, like any of those teams down there. So I just, I think you're right. And that's, that's the scariest part. And I think that's why you try to, you want to try to go after that one seed just to avoid the Lakers. Um, but after that, I mean, it's, I think the priorities are just getting healthy. Um, I, I don't know what else they have to figure out. I asked Monty a dumb question the other day on one of the Zooms about like, what are you trying to learn? He's just like, everything's so wacky. You don't know what other teams are going to do. You don't know who's sitting, you don't know who's starting. So you really can't just try to force, you know, certain lineups, certain guys out there. You're just trying to win games. So I, I think that right now it's just they need to get to the end of the season relatively healthy. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. If you look at L.A.'s remaining schedule, they're at the Clippers Thursday night. Uh, they're at Portland on the second night of a back-to-back. Then they're at home against Phoenix, at home against the Knicks, uh, at home against the Rockets and the Pacers, and then they're at the Pelicans. So that last three are a lot easier, but the first four are pretty daunting so there is a chance they drop from that six spot into the seven and that would be just perfectly fitting for the Suns first time in the playoffs in 11 years they get the Lakers in the first round yeah um but I mean I guess the silver lining there would be like you're saying is if they are the seventh seed it means to some degree they're struggling to some degree they're still not healthy um, do you buy into that argument that if there is a time that you, if you have to face the Lakers in the playoffs, that it should be the first round while they're still trying to get acclimated? Yeah. I mean, if you have to, if you're saying you're going to run through them eventually, um, but there's no guarantees of that. If they fell to the seventh seed, that means like maybe they are not as hot and not as good as we thought they might be. Um, but also if they're the seventh seed, that could just be because, they get LeBron and Anthony Davis good for the playoffs and they're just mm-hmm. going to roll then. And, you know, those guys, Anthony Davis has not been himself. I don't think from what I've seen, but LeBron, I would just assume that he's going to be fresh leg LeBron ready to be mad about being the seventh seed when he comes back. So yeah, I wouldn't want a part of them. Um, but then again, you're right. Like, if they do get to the second round conference finals and you run into them, I'm assuming they're going to be doing quite well at that point and, you know, clicking and finding meshing when they had all this time off, I guess. Yeah. But which is a scary proposition. I, I I'd feel like if you can avoid the Lakers in any scenario, <laughs> you would yeah. try to do that. But um, you know, that, that could be an unintended benefit if that's the case. And, the good news is in the playoffs, hopefully the Suns get a little bit more time to rest no matter who they're playing. And they're also much better for whatever reason against winning teams than they are against sub 500 teams. Yeah. They're, they're 25 and nine against teams that are 500 or better. 
and they're 22 and 10 against teams below 500, which is just kind of silly. <laughs> but uh, let's move on to something that is going to play into hopefully over the next few games won't be the case anymore. But um, another notable storyline has been Cam Johnson's recent shooting slump. Uh, it's been hard to avoid because he's still playing pretty ample minutes off the bench. And, you know, he's a guy that even in the overtime game against the Cavs, he was playing late because of his defense, because Jay Crowder was out, but he just hasn't been able to hit the bottom of the net. Um, over the last 12 games, he shot 15 for 76 from three, which is just under 20%. Uh, that's the worst percentage over that stretch on the team, aside from Aiton, Etwan Moore, and Tyshawn, who are all at 0%. Aiton doesn't shoot threes, Moore doesn't play, and Tyshawn has shot like one three over that stretch. So not doing great. Uh, Kevin, are you kind of of the mind that he's eventually going to bust out of it, or is this something that he might need to tweak his approach a little bit to gain some confidence first? I think a little bit of both. It's not like a Mikel has a wonky release situation that will take a year or whatever to fix. Um, I, I don't know if it's like it's mental or whatever it is. I didn't have a wrist injury too, but what's, I mean, I looked at the numbers today too, and I think post all-star break it's 31%. So he's really not hit very well since like for quite a while now. And to me for him, Again, it's not mechanical fixes. If it's mental, then I think it's just, you know, more pump fakes. If you're wide open, which he is a lot, take a dribble. And even if he's not comfortable shooting a mid range, take two dribbles and try to learn, you know, do I want to go for a dunk on like a shot blocker like Jared Allen, like he did the <laughs> other night? Or should I just make an easy kick out and just keep the ball moving? Because I think if he takes a dribble or two, gets defenses to bite down, make a little play that's not too difficult, not beyond what he can do, then eventually he's going to get so wide open that he'll just start hitting them and he's not going to be thinking as much. So I think it's just the little stuff like that where he can drive, um, drive and kick and, and just not think too much um, mm -hmm. because he can stay on the crop. Like you said, he's, he's solid enough on defense, if not maybe getting – average to above average, uh, depending on who he's guarding. So I, I just think it's a mental approach thing with him for whatever reason that he's just not hitting shots. Yeah. And I think it should be noted that like, it's been more noticeable with Crowder out how those threes haven't been falling, um, you know, over the last that 12 games or so where he's been struggling, he's taken the fourth most field goal attempts on the team. Um, but he's only shooting like 32% from the field overall. So obviously the bad three-point shooting is a factor there, but he's not doing much better from two-point range either. So he needs to find some sort of way to get himself going and his confidence. And, and I thought that dunk over Jared Allen might be maybe the kickstart, you know, with the, that was the first night of a back-to-back. -back, so maybe it would carry over to the next night. And then he shot like one for nine and oh for six from deep. Um so he, it's it's becoming more noticeable because he's taking, outside of Booker, Paul, and Bridges, the most shots on the team. He's playing ample minutes still, but they're just not falling. Um, this is the stat that kind of bothers me is he's getting good shots too. So it might be that the wrist is still bothering him. He's questionable heading into Friday's game, um, which is kind of a downgrade because he wasn't on the injury report for their last game. 
Um, but he's shooting 11 for 43 on wide open threes, which is where the defender's six feet plus away. And he's three for 30 on open threes, which is four to six feet nearest defender away. So he's getting good looks. The only, those are, he's only had three other three point looks over those 12 games. And those are like very tight defenders on him. So the majority of his shots are wide open or open. He's just not hitting them. Um, and he's not good on cuts either is the thing that like, according to NBA.com, yeah. he's in the fifth percentile as a cutter, okay. which is really bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's better as a driver. So I think like you're saying, if he puts the ball on the floor a little more, that might help him gain some confidence a bit. Yeah. I think that, you know, when you look at his numbers and Mikel's and probably Jay Crowder, um, just those guys get so many open shots. Um, just because Chris and Devin are just doing all the work and just getting them in the ball movement. has been so good this year. So yeah, it's, it's, you've noticed just in their losses when even in their bad losses, they're getting open shots and they're just not hitting them. And that happens on some nights, but that's when you've, you know, that's kind of what the worry is. You know, if, if Devin and Chris have to do a lot of mid range stuff that can only account for so much. And if other teams are just blitzing them or whatever, um, getting it out of their hands and those guys like the wings and the forwards really have to just basically make shots. And that's as you know, the Rockets found out a few years ago, like if you're just jacking threes and not making them, then that's, that's tough when it, and it kind of builds in the playoffs or a different animal, I think for that. So that's going to be, I think, an interesting part of this team when we get the postseason is if those guys are missing those open threes, how do they kind of look for something else, I guess? And that is an excellent segue into our next topic, which is potential concerns for the playoffs. Because I know I saw that you had mentioned uh, during their last game that the bench is still a concern for you. Um, obviously, the three-point thing is a concern because in the NBA, you need to make threes to win like it's it's beyond just the you know live by the three die by the three that old adage it's basically if you're not a good three-point shooting team it's a lot harder to win in the modern nba but because the suns don't get to the free throw line a lot and because they don't even get to the rim a lot honestly i think they have the fewest or the second fewest like lowest percentage of their shots come from at the basket um they they're much more heavily reliant on that three ball but I wanted to ask you, what were some of the main concerns that you have for this team, aside from the playoff and experience heading into their first postseason together? Yeah, and it's, I think someone pointed out to me that tweet. I, I think that is their biggest question mark because I think the inexperience, I'm not worried about Devin Booker or Mikel Bridges, maybe not even DA as much as I am just that, that bench unit you know, as good as they've been at times, I think that they have flaws and it, it's really came out against the Hawks game because mm -hmm. one, you have an athletic backup big in Okongwu who's really challenging for Dario or Frank um, to guard and you can't have DA on the court all the time to defend against athletic bigs and teams like Portland, um, you know, even Golden State with Wiseman, even, you know, Harrell and the Lakers, um, those types of guys might be trouble for Frank and Dario. Um, and and I, I think that the shooting thing is one where that, that group of guys doesn't have the ball handling after campaign to really 
find other shots other than campaign getting to the hoop for floaters and stuff like that. So if he's not going, if Dario's or Frank's not going, then suddenly, and, and you, we've talked about Cam, then suddenly things are really different for that unit. And again, it, it matters that Jay Crowder's out. It matters that Torrey Craig's not part of that because that changes kind of your defensive dynamics um, with because he can guard some athletic bigs. So that, that's, that's why I keep saying like they need to get healthy because that's just going to push more of the, the flaws out of that second unit. And obviously it's going to allow, you know, Devin and Chris more to play with that group to limit their, you know, lack of ball handling and playmaking off the dribble. Yeah. I, I think a lot of what you said tracks for me too. Um, campaign. I'm not like worried about campaign because like you said, he's one of the few that can create shots for himself and others, but we also should bear in mind, I think he's only got like 11 games of postseason experience and, you know, he was, he played a very minimal role on those Thunder teams that he played for. Um, you know, Dario, I think he's only got like 17 playoff games under his belt as well. Um, and he's been in the league for a while, but like you're saying with athletic backup bigs, that's going to be a problem. And my hope is that we're going to see some kind of counter from Monty that we haven't seen that he's been kind of keeping in his back pocket like the sun's going just really small shooters across the board or like Torrey Craig at the five um, but again like you're saying they kind of need Jay Crowder healthy for that so that he's not having to run out there with the starting unit at that four spot um, Cam Johnson needing to snap out of the shootings funk and, and Dario Saric has been in a funk until recently for like a month or so as well so the bench has been a godsend for the Suns for most of the season, but I think I'm with you as far as, you know, if Javon Carter's not knocking down shots confidently like he can, if Torrey Craig, you know, suddenly stops or overperforming in that regard, yeah, those could all be potential problems. Are, are there any other issues with this group or with this team that kind of stand out to you heading into the postseason? I mean, I, I'm, I'm feeling like the last few weeks of games is just get to the end. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, like when I asked Monty that question, I was just trying to find out if he wanted his team to get better at anything. And it just seems like we've seen them grow and all that kind of stuff. And um, Book and CP3 find their kind of rhythm with one another down in clutch situations. DA has found stretches of success, even though he's kind of fallen back a little bit lately. So I, I feel like we know this team pretty well, like the personality of it. We know we've seen back to the bubble. It's been the same. It's been consistent. So to me, it's really, you know, that that's the big one is the bench unit for me. But um, I could also see that bench unit just killing a, a bad group of bench players like with Portland, if they match up with Portland or something like that. So, you know, I, I think that's more later round stuff. I, I think they're just they're they're in a good spot, I'd say. I feel like that's something we've been talking about for weeks with this group is like they very much seem like a team that was ready for the playoffs to start like two or three weeks ago. Um, you know, because Monty has always said like their goal is to improve month by month. But I feel like they've maybe not hit their ceiling, but, you know, they've they've gotten the chemistry, you know, the acclimation period out of the way. Now it's just like a matter of like, staying healthy getting to the postseason and and letting these games that matter really begin um because that's what these guys are super excited for we've seen them get up for the big games all season long 
Um, and I think with more time in between games and, and time to prepare for their opponents, like we've seen against all these good teams, uh, the results have been good to this point. So the only thing that really worries, worries me is when the lights are at their brightest, if an inexperienced team plays differently in different scenarios. But, you know, there's really no way to measure that until we're there, I guess. No. But it should be fun. I'm very much like the Suns, probably very much looking forward to the playoffs being here no matter where they end up. And we get to cover playoff basketball for the first time, Kevin. It's exciting. It's literally the first time for like, <laughs> I've been doing it a little longer than you, but it's, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's too long. Come on. Yeah, it's been way too long. Six years <laughs> on this job and we've we've had to deal with the thrown towels and the 48 point opening night oh. blowouts <laughs> it'd be it'll be nice to see them in a in a playoff environment even with a reduced capacity crowd but uh, I think that's going to do it for Suns Talk today we're going to take a quick break and be right back after this all right Kev so for our G-rated segment today we are going to be talking about Star Wars The Bad Batch which just premiered on May the 4th um the premise, if you're not familiar, if you haven't tuned into any of Star Wars's animated content, which is really superb, you need to check out The Clone Wars. I'd also recommend Star Wars Rebels. They're both on Disney+. Plus. Um, but this is kind of a, it might as well be season eight of The Clone Wars, honestly. It's, it's set between episodes three and four. It begins right as Order 66 is taking place. Um, and it's focused on these five kind of genetically modified clones that have these enhanced abilities that they introduced in the, was it the last season of the Clone Wars or a little before that? Um, it was somewhere Something around like there. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, same animation style. It features a lot of the same characters that were in that series. Um, the premiere was like an hour and five, an hour and 10 minutes long. Um, but Kev, I wanted to get your thoughts. what did you think of the premiere of this new show? So I guess it was, I'll just give you a quick context. Start of pandemic times. I like just binge watched Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't watch the animated series, um, Rebels. And so I, I guess the biggest piece for me is the, the premiere kind of ties together Rebels and Clone Wars um, mm -hmm. to some degree. Um, sorry about spoilers there, but like that, that stuff, like I had to, from the, off the bat, I had to like pause it and like rewind and be like, wait, oh, I wasn't ready for like thinking about what like plot mm -hmm. screen together. So I had to do that. And then, yeah, it was a really good hour and 10, like you said, of kind of introducing the characters, but also getting the plot for the series going real quick, which I appreciated. And you already kind of started to like the characters and that kind of thing get a feel for the different personalities so i i liked it um i'll just also tell you that i like pretty much every star wars content movie that comes out like i even like solo and no one likes solo so that's <laughs> just an asterisk when you like read this and or listen to this and are just like kevin said it was good so i don't that's that's <laughs> what i'll say there i mean hey that's fair like i don't think solo is bad I don't think yeah. it's the greatest, but I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed a certain cameo at the end as well. But um, we should give spoiler spoiler alert for this part of the episode for the Bad Batch. Um, 
there are a couple of cameos and, and the one that Kev was talking about that kind of ties Rebels and Clone Wars together is um, Caleb Doom. We see a, a young Caleb Doom who is a Jedi at this point um, and he later goes by Kanan Jarrus. He was one of the main characters in Rebels. Um, so it was kind of cool to see him and a little bit of a, um, I don't want to say heart-wrenching moment, but it was like a little emotional pang, like seeing him as a young Jedi and lose his Jedi master and whatnot. And there are actually quite a few cameos in the first episode. We got Saw Gerrera, um, Fennec Shand from The Mandalorian, um, you know, his Jedi master, Depa Balaba, uh, Admiral Tarkin. So there was a lot of, there were a lot of recognizable characters. My thing with the show for this show to be successful I feel like it needs to flesh out the Bad Batch more because in that last season like the four episodes that kind of focused on the Bad Batch were it was a really good season but those were probably my least favorite just because all five of them just kind of seemed like you know these um you know like general characterizations like they weren't complex characters at all um, we wanted, you know, Ahsoka and Anakin and that kind of stuff for the last season. But for this to succeed, I feel like it needs to flesh them out beyond character archetypes. And I thought the premiere did a decent job of moving in that direction. What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that. Just because in Clone Wars, they were just like these very cocky, like army bros, I guess. That's the only way I can think of to describe them, yeah. where they're just like gunslingers, then mm -hmm. they're obnoxious a little bit and I, I did that's that's why I think I was apprehensive and like I'm I got excited and I watched it when it came out at like midnight our time um, on the yeah. west coast but I was I was apprehensive for that reason and so I think it was a good start as far as um, humanizing them um, and just the what's the sniper dude's name see I don't even know the character's uh, name Crosshair yeah and, and just his his little uh his little thing at the end there that mm -hmm. um where he turns on his dudes so i think that to me you know that's a good sign that they can build on the other guys' characters at least and humanize them more and make them more compassionate um because also um you know they they did show a little more compassion compared to in just one episode compared to anything that happened in clone wars which again they were you know they were kind of secondary characters who just kind of shoved their way into the plots there and it was like why are these guys around so yeah i think that kind of they got off to a good start as far as making me think okay maybe they can do what you just said as far as developing those characters yeah, I, w I was definitely apprehensive like you were heading into this series. I, I think when they first announced it, I was like, well, I don't, I don't even all, know if I'll yeah. watch that. Like of all the things you're going to announce, like I, I'm not very excited for that. But I was excited, you know, leading up to it, the first episode dropping. And then I think it kind of dawned on me that we are going to be able to explore. I mean, A, like my faith in Star Wars, especially Dave Filioni projects has just amplified through I, I binged the Clone Wars like you during quarantine, uh, binged Rebels during quarantine, obviously been watching Mando every single week. Um, and it just kind of dawned on me like, A, we're getting to explore a time period that in Star Wars, we haven't really gotten to explore very much. Um, you know, even with like Rebels, that takes place, you know, eight or 10 years down the road before 
or after the events of episode three. So we're kind of really going to get to see the formation of the empire, maybe the start of the inquisitors, um, maybe a couple of Jedi that survived and are being hunted, just stuff like that. Um, but I am interested to see, you know, obviously the cameos are going to be great, but they really got to build out those characters so that it's not just a show dedicated to fan service like that. Yeah. Um, I, but I thought, I thought they did a good job so far. Yeah. The, the interesting part is like we saw in Mando, like just the Ashoka appearance and how they started to really branch out. This is going to be interesting because this is the first one after Rebels where, and they have so many more that like Obi-Wan and all these different ones. And I don't know in my head, cause I'm not that <laughs> crazy of a fan, but they're all after episode three. So like the consistencies are going to have to be really good when you jump between these different series. So I, I, you know, I don't know who's directing and making all these off the top of my head, but that's mm -hmm. going to be kind of crazy when we get deeper after this series and keep rolling these out as far as like, are there going to be consistencies? Are they going to have big plot holes and that kind of thing? So that's, <laughs> that's interesting too. Like when you look real far ahead. Yeah. It is, and I think for this show, at least, I think the challenge might come for the other shows because I feel like with this one, it's, t it's starting like right after, you know, near the end of episode three, basically. So they kind of get to, lay some of the groundwork building up to some of the things we've already seen in like Mando with Ahsoka or you know Rebels with Kanan Jarrus and all of those characters um, so we might get to see younger versions like or we could see Grand Admiral Thrawn's rise to power within the Empire which would be pretty cool because he's a very well done bad guy in Rebels and a lot of the other book materials um, the Inquisitors, who are dudes that just hunt down Jedis, which is a pretty cool concept. Um, but is, is there any cameo, I'm going to put you on the spot, is there any cameo that you're like, you'd be looking forward to or expecting with this kind of show? Um, just with like, I, I kind of expect someone like a big character, um, maybe in the finale, kind of like Mandalorian season two did where yeah. <laughs> maybe it'll be Obi-Wan or something who just pops up and helps someone out. And as the plot advances, just becomes a huge part of it, but maybe departs. Um, I, I could see something like that because that's kind of how they've done it with Ashoka again and that, that kind of stuff where they just have someone pop in and out and really tease and then just kind of move on, which yeah. <laughs> I think is a really smart thing to do to keep us watching every week. So yeah. I, I like that, I guess, in a way. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I feel like Obi-Wan's probably a big one. Ahsoka, I mean, just because she was such an instrumental part of the Clone Wars, I feel like she's bound to show up. Um, maybe we'll get some Darth Maul in there because he is still alive at this point and everybody that watched the Clone Wars loved Darth Maul. And he's always too. alive. <laughs> yeah, he's never he's never gonna die. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, and also we got to shout out Hondo Onaka, my favorite bounty hunter, Ooh. just because the voice actor for him is terrific. Um, and we should give some love to the main voice actor for the show, um, who has to do like ninety different voices, <laughs> like because he's the clones. Um, but he has to do different variations, especially with our main characters. So that's probably not easy to do to bring a different life to like 
seven different characters in the same voice, but um, he's doing a Is pretty there good really job. One guy with every one of those guys. I oh. think it's the vast majority. I don't know if it's the entire yeah. Bad Batch, but obviously it's every clone, and then it's like the main clones of the Bad Batch. So <laughs> it's pretty. Challenging. I don't know how. How do you switch in your head, like from character <laughs> to character? I get. I get. I guess you've done the other voice recording so as you layer it on it makes it easy but that's crazy to me i i have a hard enough time just doing a podcast getting my voice to sound the same episode to episode let alone (laughs) seven different characters but um yeah i i I was gonna add i mean normally we give a score out for this type of show but it's you know it's just a premiere so premiere score i guess we could do that Out, out of 10 what would you give the first one Seven five, I guess. Is that yeah? No, I, I think I'm good. with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd probably give it a seven five. I I think with more time to flesh out some of those characters, because like a guy like Wrecker, he kind of worries me <laughs> because his character has just been one note like Hulk smash the entire time, like big dumb brute. So hopefully they give him more to do. And I think by bringing like that child Omega into the mix, I think that's going to be key because these guys are badasses. They just they complete every mission but now that there's like a child involved um who is one of them as we find out i think that's what's gonna mix things up a little bit and and kind of dive into their depth a little bit more but uh kev thank you so much for coming on the show tell the people where they can read your work where they can listen to your podcast plug whatever you want to plug yeah um over at ArizonaSports.com, we obviously do Suns and Cardinals and D-backs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then obviously our podcast is Empire of the Suns with Kellen Olson. He's the man and the main Suns guy over there for us. But yeah, thank you for having me and appreciate you letting me try to talk about Star Wars, <laughs> which I you know much more about than me, but I also enjoy. So, Absolutely. Glad to have you on, Kevin. Uh, For everyone listening, please go ahead and write a five-star review, subscribe, tell your friends. Um, Next episode, I think we're going to talk about Netflix's new series, Shadow and Bone, and obviously do a lot more Sun stuff. Maybe we'll talk about uh, potential Suns awards since we are approaching award season very quickly. But uh, for Kevin and myself, that's going to do it for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast. This is Gerald Borgay signing off.